Hello, and welcome to the Fishnets and Phantoms podcast. This is your host, Amy Shofsrain. This episode is our inaugural episode in the Dark Discussions Media Group. Fishnets and Phantoms is a podcast consisting of esoteric news, movie reviews, and reviews of other media, plus a few thoughts, thought features such as ghost stories, short fiction, poetry, or interviews at my leisure. Okay, well today those cold, cold winds are blowing and the who's down in Whoville are singing, much to the Grinch's chagrin. So it's that time again. Christmas is here for us all and or solstice or Eid or Hanukkah, um, all of the winter celebrations that mark the dark time of the year and the lengthening of days that will be, should be coming soon. It seems very, very dark and cold out these days. Um, to keep us cheerful, I've news on a couple of media happenings coming up. It seems, much to everyone's delight, that Simon Pegg of Shaun of the Dead fame and Hot Fuzz and The World's End is going to be adapting Neil Gaiman's 2013 novel, The Dark Fantasy, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. It's going to be produced by Frost and Pegg's Stolen Picture Production Company. And it will be released as a limited TV series, much like American Gods or Good Omens. One of my favorite quotes from the book is, I have lived in books more than I have lived anywhere else. And that is very true of me and probably a lot of you out there in the podcast world. Possibly books and movies. All right, um, some more wonderful news. One of my favorite pop artists, El Gato Gomez, has a new series of Bad Kitty holiday paintings for sale on her eBay site. Check out her page, El Gato Gomez Art 7522. On that page, she has her original work as well as prints and holiday cards. Miss Gomez's art, if you are woefully unaware of her, has a playful, mid-century, modern kish vibe. With that, she blends monster movie culture and an early punk slash goth aesthetic. She is great at capturing the mischievous and snarky expressions of animals, aliens, and monsters alike. One finds notes of the artist Shag, as well as Chuck Jones of Looney Tunes and Grinch fame in her work. Notoriously reclusive when approached for an interview, Miss Gomez demurred. However, she approved this review of her work. Notably, she is the artist that I chose for this podcast's cover artwork, which you can see in our Facebook group, Fishnets and Phantoms Podcast Group, which is pretty easy to remember. I must say I recommend highly buying some of her work for your presence this year in this giving time of the year. It is nice and rare to be able to buy a piece of handmade artwork 
to give to your friends and relatives and or to hang on your own wall, which I also recommend. All right, number three is some more media news and it is good news for all witchy media types that listen to this broadcast. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina season three has been announced and it is set to drop at Netflix January 24th, 2020. If you are familiar with the current arc of the show, you know that Ms. Spellman, played by Kiernan Shipka, will be taking on hell this season in an attempt to free her love interest, Nicholas Scratch, who is played by the mysterious Gavin Leatherward. He sacrificed himself and in an attempt, la, 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 la. he sacrificed him in an attempt to save her and the Scooby gang last season. The show, despite some possibly intentional kish considering its origins, is a favorite of mine, and I am curious to see what is up with the near Riverdale witch set. The near Riverdale witch segment, witch segment this year. Ah, I think I don't need to go and iron my tongue out for the rest of the podcast. All right. Before I get into the rest of this podcast, I need to throw up a bit of a trigger warning and, of course, a spoiler warning. Uh, most of my podcasts have a little bit of a spoiler aspect to them. I um, often do movies that have been out for a little bit of time and, um, therefore, I'm not as careful about spoilers as perhaps I should be considering that often they are smaller movies that not everyone has seen. Um, so, this is a spoiler warning, but it also has a trigger warning. Um, the movie is an intense and dark movie. Um, it has scenes of sexual assault and uh, animal mutilation, as well as murder and some possibly hallucinogenic cannibalism. Okay, um, so there is your warning. If you need to, um, come back and... Um, try us a, another time. Otherwise, you can fast forward about, I would say, probably about 10 minutes, and I will have a review of a concert that I saw this week. So, all warnings up. Uh, okay. Um, the film review for today is 2017's German language movie, Hagazusa. A Heathen's Curse. It was written, produced, and directed by Lucas Fiegelfeld. He did it in general for production, but also as his graduation project, and a competent project it is. Um, he was able to show Hagazusa at the 2017 Fantastic Fest, and it was released in Germany in 2018. It did not come to the United States for release until this year, however, in April. Um, I was very excited to hear about the upcoming release of Hegazusa earlier this year. I had heard it was a v experimental and folklorish movie that would make Eggers the witch, or Vovovich as I childishly like to pronounce it, playing on the double V's in the title. Um, it was to make that movie seem almost mainstream in com comparison. 
I was not disappointed. Hagazusa, starring Alexandra Coven, is the protagonist, and they, as the protagonist, Alberin. See, I needed that iron for my tongue. Um, well, hopefully not iron. Maybe a little bit of a straightener. Um, hair straightener. Ow. Ah, oh, yuck. Um, so, uh, so where was I? Um, Agazuza, starring Alexandra Coven, is the as the protagonist, Alberin who uh, is portrayed by Celine Peters as her younger self, is indeed a murky and tough existential Germanic folktale horror movie. I dare say that many of you will find this movie a bit too quiet and slow for your taste. However, uh, those who are very interested in folk horror and uh, beautiful, I'm, I guess the term is art house movies, um, I just consider them very good movies, um, but it is a beautiful, slow movie, um, and it would have been a very odd movie if it had been paced any other way. Hegazusa concerns a single woman and her daughter who live on the outskirts of a 15th century mountain village in late medieval Europe, probably Austria or Germany in the Alps. Now, medieval Europe not being a tolerant land in the department of lower-class females, uh, the mother figure, Mutter, as she's called in the movie, she doesn't have any uh, more specific name than Mutter, which is mother in German, and her daughter are branded as witches by the neighboring peasants. And well, those peasants weren't exactly wrong. Um, mother does seem to be an herbal worker. Um, and she has a um, goat skull that she, if not worshiped, definitely holds in very high esteem, uh, mounted above the head of her bed with some branches of herbs around it and um, some material hanging down. Uh, as the story begins, it is Twelfth Night and Mutter is warned to get inside to avoid Percha. Now, Percha, for those of you who don't know, is an alpine goddess. Um, she's one of a number of Christmas time, wintertime, solstice time, um, I'm just going to say bogey bogeymen, um, but that's way too reductive of a term for the mythology. Um, Percha is a goddess who was considered... Uh, the goddess of spinning, and she is a dualistic goddess who is either very interested in being um, kind and helping one who has obeyed her strictures throughout the year and done all of the spinning that they were given earlier in the year, otherwise she is a horrifying monster. She rewards the good by giving them small presents or good luck in the new year. She gives them small presents in their shoes, much like St. Nicholas. And if you are bad and if you are lazy, she viciously punishes you on Twelfth Night, 
which comes to January 6th. It would be the 12th night after Christmas. Folktale is much older than Christianity and is kind of a um, holdover of the old gods, which had become um, sort of like frightening fairy tales um, as the years progressed. By the time the Brothers Grimm came into the area, um, all of these older gods and goddesses and creatures of Christmas time um, had been pushed to the wayside mostly. But anyways, um, if you are not kind, and I'm sorry, if you are not good at your work and um, a kind and good person, Fertil will punish you and the newer version of purchase punishment is receiving a unpleasant present in your shoe at the end of the night which is something like a stone or a lump of coal however the older version of it uh, percha was a lot more nasty she would slit a child's stomach from navel to chest and fill the corpse with straw um yeah so percha is not gonna play um so uh, when the man threatened uh, Mutter to get home and to be safe from Percha, they, he was not kidding around. Um, so she and her daughter get home and prepare the night's uh, meal, but in a short amount of time there is a loud ruckus outside and men dressed as Perchin um, are animalistic mythical monsters that went along with Percha um, pound on the house and um, yell outside threatening to burn them as they believe that they were witches. It is a rather frightening scene and um, the actresses are both very competent in playing the fear and well, abject terror that they have throughout the night. Um, unfortunately, soon after this, it appears that Mutter has somehow contracted a disease and um, falls into the snow on a gathering trip with her daughter. So um, her daughter brings her back home and nurses her as best as she can, which is not very well. Um, the movie has little dialogue, but the director and cast do a masterful job at communicating the terror and grief Alburn and her mother deal with, along with the stoic demeanor they have at the unceasing work needing to be done for bare survival at the time. Alburn um, takes care of her ill mother as well as she's able to, but um, the mother continues to go downhill. Um, a traveling doctor attends her and finds that she has large um, blisters, large buboes on her back, which is a sign of the Black Death, the plague. And um, they basically shrug their shoulders and leave because there was no known way to save a woman from the plague at that time. Afterwards, uh, they leave and Alburn is left with her dying mother um, who has some sort of either psychic break or possible um, possession. 
Uh, it's not clear exactly what it's supposed to be, but there's a lot of ambiguity in the movie. Um, the name Hagusa is known as um, a substitute for Haxen or witch for the time, but it does also translated as fence-sitter, someone who lives between the worlds and um, is in a liminal world between the old gods and the new gods is how I would interpret it in terms of this movie. So the mother um, has a transformational experience where she suddenly seems much, much better and um, she embraces her daughter and um, brings her to um, sleep for the night where she seems to sexually assault her, which is a bit odd, but it's possible that she was um, being possessed by the old gods at the time. It's hard to say. They don't stipulate it either way. Unfortunately, after that, she has another break and um, gets up and runs out into the snow um, in the cold uh, night of winter in the Alps. She, of course, doesn't live for very much longer, and um, she's found the next day by Alberin with snakes um, writhing over her corpse. Um, then there is a time jump where Alberin is seen next 15 years later. She has a child with her, a small, uh, small girl. I believe her name is Martha. Um, and she is tending her animals somewhat happily. She has to go down to the uh, local peasantry, um, the local town area, to sell her milk. And she's harassed by young boys and other peasants. And they throw things at her and call her, um, call her witch and other uh, rather horrific things. <laughs> um, until a peasant girl named Swinda um, stops them. Now, um, Alberin is, uh, lives at the very edges of their society, and as I said before, she is marginally part of the old religion of um, paganistic times rather than uh, the new Christian world that is has come about and um, she is called in by Swinda who comes to her house to visit in a somewhat friendly way at first to speak to the local priest. He apparently is a skull hoarding priest as um, the church is an ossuary um, which is a church that the walls are filled in with the skulls and bones of the dead in the area that the skulls and bones have been cleaned and bleached and sometimes painted and um, it is a striking scene that where she um, meets the pastor he is not unkind but he points out to her that um, he cannot bury uh, her mother in the ossuary and hands her her skull, the mother's skull, which has been painted with 
greenery and flowers and is quite beautiful actually and is cast out back into the wilderness by the priest. So she seems to be, well, she always seems to be <laughs> quite um, okay and uh, dour about the decision, but house with a skull and um, is visited very soon by Swinda. Seems to be fairly genial. She compliments uh, her little baby uh, on her beauty and the quaintness of her little cabin, but not not everything is right with Swinda. She sits across from the skull that uh, Auburn has set up on a shelf in the house to give um, a remembrance to her mother. And um, Swinda sits across from it and she has a very doubt. Swinda leaves and Auburn lives her solitary life with her baby and her possibly two beloved goats that she manages to be fair, fairly happy. Um, she is a goat herder and she walks around with her goats and takes good care of them. Um, and when she's a bit bored, she goes to the side of the barn and masturbates with goat milk. Um, but she seems to be marginally happy until Swinda returns. And um, with Swinda's coming, Auburn's world is pretty much shattered. Uh, she returns to visit Auburn, and the two go up to the top of the mountain and sit watching the, I believe it's the sunrise. I'm not sure if it's sunrise or sunset, actually. Um, but she has a conversation with Auburn about how they are safe because um, in a loose quotation, they are safe from the heathens and the Jews um, who might attack them down in the um, cities. Sunda is obviously not a very tolerant person. <laughs> she um, talks to Auburn about how if she had uh, been a heathen, she would b burst into flames as the sun rose. And with that happy note, they go walking down the hill and um, Swinda is arm in arm with Auburn as they continue down the mountain. And they run into a peasant from the uh, town who is seemingly Swinda's uh, paramour uh, boyfriend. And um, that leads to a rather unpleasant scene where uh, Swinda shows her true feelings. She jumps on Auburn and um, pulls her to the ground, at first um, laughingly, and then holds her down and explains to her how she smells and is disgusting and, um, t and elaborates on how much she hates um, Auburn. As the man comes over and proceeds to rape um, Auburn, as Swinda holds on to her, smiling and laughing. This is a horrific scene and um, hard to watch. Um, Auburn, as always, takes the happening very stoically, and she seems to go into a bit of a, a trance sort of state in trying to probably separate herself from her body, falls asleep in the pasture. She returns home and finds that her dear flock of goats has disappeared and they are all dead, 
or the ones that are left are all dead and mutilated and covered in maggots and plague rats. Uh, she goes inside and sees that her baby is actually still all right, technically, but she refuses to nurse and um, seems to be having a failure to thrive. Um, she is very ill. And Auburn has had enough of this and she's had enough of the society, the human society that she is with, represented by Swinda. And Auburn, Auburn um, she goes full dark side. She <laughs> goes to the barn and finds a plague-ridden rat and slits its throat on top of the stream that feeds the village's water. Um, she then defecates into the water and proceeds to cause a plague and pretty much um, decimate the local population, fulfilling their worst fears of the solitary woman on the hill. And believe it or not, here's where things get crazy. Um, I am actually not going to tell you any more about the film. You can watch the rest of the film. It is very beautiful, very dark and visceral. And um, I recommend seeing the rest of the film. It um, continues to a crescendo. Um, and in that time, it is uh, phantasmagoric and an interesting take on a woman who has taken too much from uh, modern society and needs to fall back into uh, what she believes is a source of power through witchcraft and um, possibly madness. Possibly she is also mentally disturbed, which would not be um, unlikely considering she has so far lived through some pretty horrific scenes in her life. Um, all right, I have said that this is not a movie for everyone. Again, it is disturbing and dark. I warn people who are of delicate composition, if you haven't been warned already by the story that I've told so far, but if you are intrigued by the happenings of the world and are interested in, in beautiful cinematography and a haunting story, I have to highly recommend Hagasa, A Heathen's Curse. And I believe, like I said, that it is available on Amazon Prime currently. All right, that is the end of my movie review. I'm going to have a quick concert review. We were able and lucky enough to find out that one of our favorite bands was playing um, yesterday, which would have been the, well, actually, it was on the 12th, uh, not the 13th, uh, today is the 13th. On the 11th, <laughs> we were able to find that one of our very favorite bands, uh, Ladytron, was playing at the Metro in Chicago. Now, it was a little bit of a last minute idea, so we were a bit late and we made the show but we unfortunately missed the opening bands, so I will not be reviewing them. Um, Lady Tron uh, came on a few minutes after we arrived and began with the Bulgarian song, uh, Black Cat. Uh, the vocalist Mira Ariel uh, was captivating with her newly white hair and her white robe-like dress, which was decorated with 
circles containing photos of pop stars and um, other, I believe, feminist icons. Um, her voice was strong, and the, the shy smiles that she gave the audience between numbers were in opposition to the confidence shown by uh, her veteran performance. She played a mix of, or they played, I should say, a mix of their hits and a few songs from the recently released eponymously named album Lady, uh, Ladytron that was released earlier this year, um, approximately in February. Her fellow vocalist and synth player, Helen Marney, was intensely focused on her performance, stepping out to sing the tracks that she headlines. Ladytron is an electronica dance band that has been around since 1999, and they were created by Daniel and Ruben Wu. I'm sorry, Daniel Hunt and Ruben Wu. <laughs> Ruben Wu, that's actually quite hard to say. Ruben Wu, Ruben Wu. Maybe I'll use that as a vocal exercise later. Um, the, na the band is named Lady Tron after a song by Roxy Music. Brian Eno, the famous producer and solo performer, once a member of Rox Roxy Music, said the, of Later Tron that they are the best that English pop music has to offer. The band finished the show with the crowd favorite, Destroy Everything You Touch, uh, left a very satisfied crowd. Um, everybody who was there seemed to be fans of the band um, for quite some time and were very, very appreciative of the show. So that is our December episode. I hope that everyone enjoyed it. I will be seeing you again very soon on December 31st, New Year's Eve, with our fishnet full of film, Best Horror of 2019, according to your host, Amy Shofs Rain. The uh, have a very Merry Christmas. In the meantime, uh, watch out for all of the Christmas monsters. Don't get put in a sack by Krampus or um, get cold from Percha. All right, stay warm, everybody. Take care.